Are you protected? Welcome to SBH Bronx Health Talk, produced by SBH Health System and broadcast from the beautiful studios at St. Barnabas Hospital in the Bronx. I'm Stephen Clark. Fall just arrived, and yet flu season is already lurking around the corner. Or maybe it never left. The flu is a contagious respiratory illness that can cause mild to severe distress. Comparing it to the common cold is like comparing a house cat with a bobcat. Serious outcomes of flu can result in hospitalization, even death. Older people, young children, and those with compromised health are most at risk. To give you an example of how serious SBH takes the flu, we have a couple of real heavy hitters with us today to discuss it. Dr. Ed Telzak, Chair of the Department of Medicine, and Dr. Judy Berger, the hospital's Director of the Division of Infectious Diseases. Welcome, doctors. Thank you. Let me start with you, Dr. Berger. From what I've been hearing, it seems that the 2018-2019 flu season never really left, right? That's true. It really hasn't. Usually after May, we don't see cases until again September, October, November. But this year we had cases in June, July, and August, which is very unusual. Why do you think? Is there a reason for it? It's just bound to happen eventually. Um, I think some flu is, um, is able to survive in the summertime. For, for instance, in the 2009 season of the swine flu, the H1N1, we had a lot of cases in the summertime. Uh, but we really don't know uh, exactly which virus this is. We know we've had both flu A and flu B, but the exact strain we don't know. I read somewhere that the flu vaccine is the best protection we have, and yet the chances of getting the flu with the vaccine only dropped by 47% this past year. To a layman, that seems low, Dr. Telzak. So, you know, I think it's important to emphasize the magnitude of the flu. And so in, in a very predictable way, every year, millions upon millions of people get the flu. It's an epidemic every year. There are occasional cases in the summer which are unusual, but come the fall and the winter um, and early spring, millions of people get the flu. Hundreds of thousands of people are hospitalized from the flu and tens of thousands of people die. So when you say that there's only a 47% or 50% efficacy, you're still impacting millions of lives, billions of dollars, ICU stays that would otherwise occur, but with a flu vaccine likely don't occur. So I think the magnitude of the impact is enormous. And, and very few vaccines, in fact, have that magnitude. Obviously, we would want uh, a higher rate of efficacy of the flu vaccine, but I wouldn't dismiss 47% okay. as not being important. I think it makes an enormous difference. Yeah. You know, I think efficacy is showing that the person did not get the flu if they got the vaccine, but it's not accounting for, as Dr. Telsak says, um, the decrease in severity of illness, the decrease in hospitalizations, the decrease in ICU stays, and the decrease in death. So I think the vaccine protects you against severe disease, and that's the reason to get it. What do you think prevents people from getting the flu vaccine? I think, first of all, there's a lot of bad press about vaccines to begin with. Uh, so the flu vaccine is surely included in that. 
Uh, there are people that feel that they get sick from the flu vaccine and they make the mistake of thinking that they got the flu from the vaccine where the vaccine is not a live virus and cannot give you the flu. And sometimes you, because it takes time for the antibody to form after the vaccine, you can get the flu within the first few weeks after you've gotten the vaccine. And I guess most people are candidates for the vaccine, right? There are very few people who wouldn't qualify for it, correct? Everybody over the age of six months is uh, able to get the vaccine and is suggested that they get the vaccine. There are very few contraindications. I, I would just comment that I think in medicine in general, uh, bad news has a very long tail. And so there have been instances where there have been suggestions of pretty severe side effects from the flu vaccine, but that hasn't happened in a, more than a decade. So there's, for example, one entity called Guillain-Barre syndrome that happened you know, 20 years ago. Um, a, a, uh, the, that keeps on coming up for a reason why people don't want to get the flu vaccine, other than the main reason is they think the flu vaccine might give them the flu, which I think is absolutely not possible. But the severe consequences are very unlikely to be due to the flu vaccine in and of itself. And some of the estimates that I've read about the increase in the, in the studies that have shown an increase, it's to the tune of one to two cases per million shots of flu vaccine. Whereas the numbers of illness, hospitalizations, ICUs, and deaths per million is logarithmically higher than, than these very, very potential rare consequences of the flu vaccine. Now, someone makes a decision at the beginning of every flu season as to what what is going to contain, right? The actual that's vaccine, correct. and that's based on what? That's that's based on what has been circulating in the community in the last season. And yet, last year it changed, right, from the beginning to the end. Yeah. So this vaccine that we have this year, the flu A's. There are two flu A's and two flu B's in the vaccine. The two flu A's are a little bit different than last year's vaccine. The two flu B's are the same. Just to comment. It it's the nature of the virus that, and, uh, that, that it's always shifting. It's always changing. Uh, it's called drift and shift. And, but but the, the antigens in the virus are moving around uh, with some degree of frequency. And that generally is felt to be on an annual basis, but even during a, a flu epidemic, there can be shift and drift of the virus where the flu vaccine might have only partial beneficial effects or even no effects if that happens during the, uh, during the flu vaccine. Right, and how, again, if you had a flu shot last spring, are you good to go or you need another flu shot? No, you need a flu shot at the beginning of each season. Okay, so- So the season begins in September. Okay. Right, and that would, I, I would say that would be for two reasons. One is because the virus changes and so, you know, there are a group of flu scientists, there are hundreds of flu scientists who work very hard at figuring out what are the likely strains of flu 
that are going to affect North America during the period of time of the flu season. And then immunity decreases over time. And so you really need an annual injection to, to make sure you have adequate immunity. And in fact, there's now considerable controversy about when's the optimal time to receive a flu shot. If you do it too early, you might lose efficacy towards the end of flu season. So you really need to be revaccinated on at least an annual basis. So, so again, if it, should we get flu shots now? Is now the right time, you think? Well, I think based on our experience during this past summer of seeing the flu, I think now is the time to get the vaccine. So the early fall is, is the yeah, best time. Yeah, I would yes. agree with that. For somebody who is, I, I hear this all the time, I'm sure you do too. Uh, someone says, well, you know, I'm 50 years old, I'm in great health. There's really no reason for me to get a flu shot. What do you say to him? I think that even although people with underlying diseases, you know, diabetes, heart disease, pregnancy, young children, old, older people, many other you know, comorbidities, other diseases that people have, malignancies, HIV, etc., are more prone to severe disease because they do not produce enough antibody to protect themselves. Um, I think that we do see severe disease even in those that are 50 years old and otherwise healthy. Okay, so what else? In addition to getting the flu shot, what else can you do to minimize your likelihood of getting the flu? I think you can make sure that any healthcare providers that you see have been vaccinated. And so we at St. Barnabas are, um, that, that's one of our major public health efforts for the institution is to make sure that every person is vaccinated or wears a mask. So if you happen to come here, you can feel secure that the overwhelming majority of individuals here have received the flu vaccine. I think having your family vaccinated so that you're not bringing flu into the close quarters um, of a household, uh, your work environment, encourage work environments to bring flu vaccine into, into that kind of environment. You want your micro environments uh, to not introduce flu and the best way to do that is to make sure as many people as possible get the vaccine. I know you see people today and you look at them like what's their little bit OCD where they, they wipe their tables or their desks clean every day with uh, some kind of cleaner. Is that a good idea or is that overkill? Well, I think that might be overkill because you're the person who uses your desk, um, not necessarily other people. So I think sharing um, phones, common phones in offices, uh, in hospitals and other places, using, um, you know, pads uh, for credit cards in, in uh, pharmacies and supermarkets. Um, I think there are common, you know, objects that we all use and I think that... So what do you do? You wear gloves? I mean, what do you do? No, I, I don't think so. But the first thing I think you have to try to train yourself is to keep your hands down from your eyes, your nose and your mouth where you might have flu on your hands and then inoculate yourself. I think that you should wash your hands more often or use hand sanitizer when you do come out of a public area. Uh, and I think also maybe during high flu season not to shake hands. Are there any home remedies that you can do to bolster your immunity or to reduce the likelihood of getting the flu? You know, I think the, you, you don't need a home remedy. You need to take the flu shot. 
I think that is the best uh, protection that you could have. Flu shots are readily available in a, in a multiplicity of, of sites, at pharmacies, at doctor's office, in work environments. You just need to get the flu shot. An another thing I would say in terms of protecting yourself, protecting your family, is that people that become ill during flu season should stay at home. They should not come to work. They should not go to a hospital. They should not go to a doctor's office unless they're very, very sick. That's how, you know, it, it, it takes a, a sick person spreading flu, or sometimes a non-sick person spreading flu, but certainly a sick person spreading flu, to infect other people. And so if you're sick, if you have respiratory symptoms, a fever, a cough, a sore throat, you should not go to work until it's over. Sometimes you may get flu tested, usually you won't, but you should stay home. I've, I've always wondered, uh, again, from a layman's perspective, you're in an elevator and someone with the flu sneezes. Does everyone get infected? No, I don't think so. I don't think it's a 100% transmission. But I do think that everyone should be encouraged to cover their cough, right, in order not to transmit. Are there early signs of the flu that you should be aware of? And if, if it happens, can you do anything about it? I think one of the, um, you know, one of the great challenges of, of uh, influenza is that people can spread the virus for a day or two before they're actually sick. So that's a, you know, that's a something that just needs to be dealt with in terms of if someone does get sick and they're, it's clear they have the flu and they're in a hospital setting, for example, then, and they've seen a lot of patients, then patients need to be what's called prophylaxed to receive medication to prevent them from getting the flu if they've had close contact with someone who is either asymptomatic or symptomatic and turn out to have the flu. I think if you do have an underlying illness and you develop signs of symptoms of the flu, you should seek medical care right away because the antiviral treatments that are used for flu can have a very important impact on ultimately how sick you get and the level of care that you might need and can actually impact uh, mortality. So it is very important if you have an underlying disease at the first suggestion of influenza that you seek medical care. On the other hand, if you're a perfectly healthy person, no underlying disease, and you develop mild symptoms of the flu, you're probably better off staying at home. You don't need to go into a doctor's office, expose people, and probably prophylax it or, or um, medication intervention will have a much less uh, beneficial impact than if you're if you have an underlying disease. So you shouldn't get treatment. You should just stay home and suck it up. What is, well, I'm not sure I understand that. Yeah. So what I would say is, if if you're an otherwise healthy person and you're of the right age group, you're not pregnant, uh, you don't have any of the risk factors for severe disease. I would say that if you have mild disease, you should stay at home. It's also assuming that everyone in your household 
is uh, you know in a similar state of good health without the other risk factors. Right. Yes, I think sucking it up uh, would be one way of characterizing it rather than going into an environment where there are lots of sick people and, um, and spreading the flu. I do think we should stress though that the antivirals that we have, the medications that we have for the flu do work and they work best within 48 hours of your having symptoms. So I think that that's the time to pick up the phone and speak to the doctor, uh, especially if you're not severely ill, and perhaps speak to the doctor about getting antivirals or not. And I think also it's very important to know that those antivirals also work to prevent what we call prophylax, to prevent the flu. And if there are people in your household that um, could be at risk for severe disease, and someone else in the household has the flu, they can receive antivirals to prevent their getting the flu. I think that's an important point. Yeah, that's a very important okay, point. Okay, that's good. Um, I just want to change gears a little bit now because we're running out of time. I was in the pharmacy a couple of weeks ago and they had a big sign out for shingles. They're talking about the shingles vaccine and if you're over 60, you should consider it. What do you think about that? The shingles vaccine um, at this point is a good vaccine in the sense that it's not a, a live virus, uh, which is um, better than the, the older vaccine. And I think it should be given to people to prevent uh, shingles. Um, this particular vaccine uh, does have side effects. People can have uh, fever and, and uh, aches and pains and feel like they have to get into bed. And so they should just know that ahead of time. Yeah, because what I found interesting is that I know while private insurance covers the shingle shot, which is not inexpensive, not Medicare always. does not. Right. So I think a lot of private insurance really follows the lead of Medicare. So many private insurances, in fact, don't cover the vaccine. It's expensive. And there have been real production issues of the vaccine. Right. So there are many pharmacists and pharmacies and hospitals that, in fact, cannot get the vaccine. Um, so, uh, but, you know, in my estimation, it's a highly efficacious vaccine. Shingles can be an extremely debilitating uh, infection. And uh, I would counsel people of a certain age to, um, you know, if they can afford it or to, to get the vaccine if, if they have access to it. Okay, well, we're running out of time. I want to thank you both for being here today. I know you have very busy schedules. Um, for more information on services available at SBH Health System, visit www.sbhny.org. And thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Steve.